Hey folks, this is Shreyans, the CEO and co-founder of Finsire, a digital infrastructure for assets. Shreyans Nahar, with a well-paying job in finance to pursue an MBA from an American Ivy League school. And then he had a most illuminating experience when he tried to apply for an education loan. Despite being cash rich and having enough savings to not really need a loan, he was denied the loan. And the reason was that the bank would only give a loan if he could produce a proof of owning an asset like a house. This is a glaring inefficiency. The bank lost the opportunity to give a loan to a profitable and a low risk customer simply because it couldn't factor in all the different forms of assets that an individual can own. like stocks mutual funds cryptocurrency insurance policies nfts and many more this put shreyans on a mission to solve this problem and ultimately led to the birth of finsire finsire is building the pipes that will allow data about all the assets you own to flow to you or other parties you consent to share it with the fact that this can be a revolutionary technology is evident from the list of angel investors who are backing finsire Stay tuned for a deep dive into the world of digitization of asset ownership and how it can unlock value for you and me and don't forget to subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app. What led you to choose finance as the space you wanted to work in uh, and you know which eventually became a space you wanted to build a business in? Sure. I mean, uh, yeah. Firstly, thanks for having me. Actually, I uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, th- there has been obviously a lot of uh, sort of story that that essentially has built up on this, right? Like, I do, I do come from a, a proper Orthodox Marathi family um, that has done business for the longest. Uh, you know, I, I in both maternal and paternal, I don't know if there were you know any sort of you know folks who work 9 to 5 or in corporate sort of a job set up for the longest right like in my grandad's generation my dad's generation both maternal and paternal i don't think anyone has uh it was my uh you know cousins who initially started it off uh, you know working that the credit business is actually a very interesting business that the family has seen all through uh, uh and me while growing up because uh, most of the uh, you know marwadis and most of the you know folks from the society Uh, from this part of of society, actually, are in different forms of credits. Like some take set, take up secured, some take agri loan credit, some take you know vehicle financing, some end up doing gold financing. Uh, it's a very interesting sort of a a, a a cult or a culture that you see here because many of them are like you know these these uh, entrepreneurs are these creditors in general. For me, it is a very interesting story. I I I had to kind of you know get into nine to five. uh very early on because uh i'd seen the cycles of family business right like during when i was growing up probably it was high and then a decade later i just seen it fall down drastically from my own eyes and it's so beautiful in a way it had its own beauty uh, only because of the fact that uh while you know um i could see the riches i could also see the the flip side of being in in a in a proper credit business sort of a family i mean it's not an easy uh, uh you know business to run uh if anything it has to be one of the hardest uh in terms of of uh risk because the probability of of uh, you know kind of repayment or the probability of someone kind of you know kind of defaulting 
is unknown despite all the models that have ever existed, right? Like it is an emotional sort of a decision that one takes if one has can pay, cannot pay at a given point of time. And on the other side of it also it needs to be kind of, you know, controlled in such a way. Um, so what went wrong in your family business? Was it regulations or was it NPS? Sure, it's is a, is a mixture of all, uh, to be honest. Uh, I've written this elsewhere as well, but, uh, you know, uh, happy to share in, in, the, in the description. But idly, uh, what family had seen was that initially when they started off, I'm talking about, you know, right after independence in 52 or something. Uh, uh, and and yeah, at that point of time, it was very interesting in the whole landscape of India. There are not actually, uh, uh, you know, formal credit players. Most of them were informal. And... And the business was open for all in different segments. My granddad uh, obviously got into giving loans to farmers based on, say, the produce that they had for the previous year or the previous six months. That was one kind of, you know, loan that he used to give. There's another loan that he used to give gold on, on gold. Uh, uh, and the third type he used to give, basically, here was give loan and take up a chunk of the business, much like what modern, beat, uh, you know, VCs do. Uh, so he had obviously built businesses around, you know, his own initial credit business. The downfall actually came much later, say 30 years of, of seeing rainbow and, and, and golden sunshine period was when actually a lot of banks and NBFCs spread out in 1980s in India, right? Like uh, a lot of them got privatized. A lot of the NBFCs actually got, you know, kind of erupted uh, in terms of giving out license. So his business model obviously took a jolt, right? Like people now realize I'm actually getting credit for just being interest and one does not take my business or one does not kind of, you know, uh, uh, see my produce of the previous month and, and just uh, previous year and just gives me kind of, you know, credit on that. They used to get lump sum credit from these uh, uh, various plans and, and by these lenders as well, right? So the, the, so the actual downfall is twofold. One is obviously the competition that erupted uh, drastically, which had forced him in, you know, my granddad getting into uh, uh, unsecured sort of lending. I mean, he's never done unsecured for 30 years, right? Like, uh, and then suddenly he's forced to do an unsecured because people didn't have, and that's when, uh, uh, you know, things went haywire. Um, bunch of uh, NPAs uh, that erupted post in unsecured lending. Uh, you know, 91 was a very interesting time and he lost a lot, fair bit of amount of money uh, at, at the given point of time. Um, and and uh, stories of the fact that retail businesses also got curtailed because of Developability, and then he had to pump credit over here as well. So, a few bad decisions in, 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 in mismanagement of pumping credit elsewhere. And obviously, to top it all, we uh, uh, obviously lived in a very informal segment. So, most of his in investments also were in the informal side, right? Like buying real estate or, or property, so on and so forth. He had done obviously a few bad misjudgments in, in investing in, in wrong properties that obviously belonged to the governments and you know, a lot of issues with respect to that. So, everything had 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 a domino effect with respect to the business, right? So his personal investments also went wrong because of the, the investments in business, which is why a lot of learnings through this this process, right? Like while it, his, his, his was, was, was easily an empire, uh, probably, you know, built out of Chennai. Um, and, and it took probably 30, 35 years to build this empire, but probably took less than five, six years to actually take it all away. So, wow. so, so that was a very interesting phase to, to, to see and, and to learn and, and, you know, realize how something like, like this you know, kind of, if there's any business of that, that can decide it's only create business. Mm. So you had to take a job to support your family or because you saw that uh, joining the family business is not an option and... Yeah, I mean, the doof was, I think you answered both. Uh, the, the, the interesting part was that, the, you know, at a given point of time when he used to do business, like my granddad probably in, in, in 80s and 90s, he used to do business with Thirubai, right? Like, so, wow. money had, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
in, in Polyester, when they started off, they had something called Vimal, right? Uh, um, yeah. And that word Vimal and, and um, yeah, he was basically kind of, you know, leading whole of Vimal for South India at that event part of time, right? And that was a very interesting phase when he used to basically lead Vimal. Uh, he probably was one of those top shots, uh, you know, in, in, in the country for the whole of South India, per se, because that was only selling like hotcakes, right? Like, and post that, obviously, he did a bit of, you know, bunch of businesses with different kind of uh, businessmen like Kishore Biani himself, right? Like the future group of sorts, various businesses that comprise of this. Uh, it, it, the fall was so drastic because of the credit business that it eventually led that, okay, not a lot of people were required for the business at all uh, and, the, and the supportary business at all for, for credit. Um, and 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 I, I was always told my lawyer always I told that you know I'd probably join the family business and and make it a lot bigger because almost all of my cousins were in the business right like I, I didn't know anyone who basically worked nine to five or wanted to work nine to five it's a very interesting and a new thing in, inside the whole bloodline itself uh, so so I'm, I'm I'm like you know I don't know what I do uh, you know families is obviously seeing something which is very different uh, it's not seen ever in the last forty years or so. I have to probably make a choice and decision as to see, you know, I, you know, do I get into something that is pretty much kind of has nothing left uh, or do I, you know, kind of do some something is very different nine to five, which obviously also led to me doing engineering, right? Like for someone like me or, or someone like someone in Marathi family, it's very unique to do engineering as sort in the first place itself. So, I mean, I did engineering. Uh, uh, I, I was certainly good at logics. Uh, I was pretty you know, decent. I was, I was definitely very smart, but I was super persistent, right? Like, all if I didn't understand something, I'd probably you know, be super persistent in learning the heck out of that. Uh, job was a very interesting time because, uh, uh, you know, my the purchasing power of my family had dropped drastically. Right? Let me just put it that way. Uh, and, and the ability to... to, to Buy goods were just curtailed from 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 so much so, and I'm like, okay, how do we increase the purchasing power, right? Like first to begin with, uh, the only possible way for me was to get a job, uh, and and have an additional source of income, uh, and and uh, it, it so happened that my first job was actually not in India, right? Uh, it was overseas, so I was actually excited for the not for the job, but the fact that I would be probably be earning in dollars. And and it was in Hong Kong. I, I you know I, I had this gig in you know used to earn Hong Kong dollars. Uh, used to save up some money and and you know send back home. Uh, you know whatever was left, so on and so forth. And and that actually kind of you know uh, uh, in, increased the purchasing power so much so that I could feel like you know uh, from a time when the last you know few years uh, like where where I could had to think of buying something twice. Is a lot getting easier at that given point of time, and, and I could probably plan and stuff, you know, plan and, and stuff a lot better than than usual. What made you uh, like? What, what was the job that you were doing, and how did that lead you to entrepreneurship again? Sure. Uh, so I mean, yeah, very interesting sort of a job, right? Like the fact that uh, yeah, I did engineering at VAT. I was obviously good in economics because I've been learning economics all throughout. Uh, my first job actually was was you know you come here into Hong Kong so it was it was part of the government again a uh, 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 few institutions and the government so like a PPP project uh, and and I told you just go there and 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 figure out, you know what do we do right so there are a bunch of projects that people are working on that to just pick one uh, I picked the one that obviously paid the most uh, <laughs> I mean interestingly so I like you know I just need I'm here and probably make few dollars and then and, and and you know um, get financially liberated because the last one of our years have been super tough. Uh, the only possible way to pick something like that was something that had a lot of uh, 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 you know 
supply but less of demand right like by takers uh so i ended up picking up the most boring sort of a project there which is an infrastructure damage um so so much so that uh you know when i used to you know explain to people or of sorts people you know kind of used to get lost within 20 seconds or so uh and, and interestingly at that point of time you know in 2017 or so 16 17 not a lot of people were actually working on this uh, uh you know at, at a given point of time there are 2000 odd 2500 odd people would actually work on something like this right like predicting when will shanghai 101 fall uh, predicting when will macau tower you know get damaged of sorts taking the past data you know linking to the you know future data and and, and just building models around it uh why, why why would someone do this why would a company spend money on predicting uh, yeah, like, building will fall like i said it was a ppp project right like by the government and uh, by the institution of sarts uh it, it, so basically the government was interested in curtailing say you know uh risk hazards earthquakes or whatever in hong kong and you know part time in another hong kong right so it was the hong kong kind of a project uh, government who was willing to do it for like say the the mainland china as well as hong kong sort of building so on so forth so i mean yeah so i did that uh, they spent a lot on it the the budget for that was supremely high um, because you know uh, they obviously wanted to they've seen past uh, uh, you know pain because of these stars falling so on so forth so if one could control that and get some sort of an accuracy to it yeah, that would be something which is which is in their gamut um yeah, was this for like saving lives or was it a, like uh, my asset will uh, be depleted by this date so i need to create a corpus to replace it was it like a financial angle or saving lives uh, i mean like- so the government thinks obviously in multiple ways right the government obviously thinks uh, how can i probably you know save lives at a given point of time how can i uh, you know if i have to demolish it or, or, or you know kind of do rehab to it so on so forth how much when do i start uh, doing this uh then the whole idea that okay fine there are a lot of development taking place around say shanghai one one but you know that tower is probably getting old uh or likewise for the bakar tower so on so forth so the government obviously had multiple angles and on the report we had to put all of this right like say you know you have to probably do rehab to it within say the next two years if not you know things might go wrong there would be another crack and the whole the whole uh, um these the process of it was very kind of uh, um, interesting and have a very interesting thought to share right like you are obviously because working for say you know the chinese governments or, or say the hong kong government uh, so on and so forth the way they think is actually very different from say any other country right like uh, both china and uh, uh, singapore that's why i work for next two years with the singapore government but both the, the same profiles yes right like the way they think okay. is actually something which is very unique uh, which i i you know i'm, I'm kind of uh, uh, satisfied because i worked my initial few years there right I, and i didn't work and say an american entity or or say you know, someone you know, uh, uh, from the west of sarts they do is actually very interesting they actually dumb down every sort of a problem statement so much so right that uh, uh it's it's impossible not to understand right uh, you don't have to go and ask your your colleagues or you don't have to go and ask the 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 mentor or or your boss again on how to do a certain problem statement the ability to dumb down amongst chinese step by step is is just you know blows my mind right so so sometimes i used to think how how the hell can someone even you know dumb down so much so that you know you it just makes it like the whole process more seamless and in a in a very stimulate you know simulation uh, sort of a scenario 
right? So I'll just probably give you an example, right? If we, if I ever had to give a report back to the government and say that, you know, this is what the process includes for us to kind of uh, do the rehab and make the changes, I would actually have to tell that, you know, uh, right from the part that, you know, open gate 7A first, right? If there's a crack in like 7A uh, sort of a section, you'll have to open gate 7A. Keep, keep the keys and the lock tied down to the door and then go up six, you know, sort of six feet high, put a, la put a ladder there, then put go to six feet high and then, you know, kind of make those changes. Like that, those steps used to be so strenuous to think that as simple as just, you know, making a small change of a rehab for a scratch or a, or a, or a, or a breakage that has been there, one have to give at least 10 to 12 steps involved in it. And, and, and it's good and bad. Good that, you know, uh, you can probably lead teams like this very, you know, kind of uh, uh, in a, in a, in a non-stressful manner. Bad is that you curtail innovation or straight thinking from one side, right? Like, you know, if it was, if say, for example, if it was in India, I would probably just go on a call, go say, go to this, you know, particular door, make the changes and come back. And you don't know what's happening. But here, the ability to fail also is a lot lower in, in, in the Chinese way, right? Like, you got to think that because your steps are just so straightforward and stupid, you cannot fail again, right? Like there won't be failed tests again. Yeah, it's idiot proof. Exactly, right? So, so that was that was very interesting, which is what we had to do uh, with the with the garments <laughs> as well, and, and pass on the reports and stuff. So I did that for for a year, and the next two years again spent with with uh, Singapore government uh, again across the risk. Um, uh, and, and now it was not just infrastructure; now it was you know say. Uh, 3D printing, say medical and so on, so on, spread across uh, architecture, spread across various sort of uh, uh, risk models. Again, we used to build risk models for various uh, scenarios. There is well, obviously I learned a lot more. Uh, that Singapore is actually a proper simulation, right? I think the whole country is like extremely well built, um, great leadership, and uh, the orderly matters a lot more there. So it's just impossible to fail, right? Like, you know, and so I, I, I did that for two years, I think, and probably the best uh, kind of work that I've ever had uh, by myself, only because, you know, uh, the, the government's supremely forward-thinking and forward-looking. When you have something like that, no corporate also can match the government level because the budget is just way too high for them to, you know, kind of throw money and, and get shit done. Um, yeah, I mean, so three years in that, uh, moved to the U.S. was that, and, and yeah, worked there, studied there. What did you do in the U.S.? So I, I started, first I went to study, right? Very interesting story. Again, the fact that I was in Singapore, I, I think I thought we'd probably just settle down here. Uh, in those three years, I made enough sort of uh, uh, money that, I, that I've never probably seen. And, 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 and a year in Singapore actually was, was equivalent to what my dad made in 10 years. So essentially in the, in the, in the tough time that is, right? Like, so I was like, you know, this is like crazy good. Like we've saved up so much uh, and, this essentially gives us a superpower to do whatever you want to do, right? Like very early on in life, I was like, okay, fine, I'm 23, I've made, I've made it and I have enough to kind of do whatever I feel 23, 24. So my choices were like just to uh, either just continue working here and, and live here for the rest of my life or uh, move elsewhere. Um, and I've done that actually whenever I felt comfortable, I've just kept moving, uh, realizing that, you know, uh, if I don't experience that, then probably I'll have a very uh, skewed uh, thought of the world. I moved to the U.S. I studied there. I did my master's at Columbia. Uh, I had like decent opportunity to work there as well with a uh, few folks. Uh, and, uh, one of them was, you know, Steinman Nuenberg was a professor there. 
Um, he also used to be like the fund manager for that uh, Norwegian fund, uh, which is a trillion dollars, right? Like him and his colleagues. Wow. So I used to be a mentor of that. I mean, so I built again risk models. I mean, that's the only thing. Since then, I actually had a fair idea. So I built models again uh, across uh, CDOs, CMBS, structured finance. And uh, yeah, I mean, so that, yeah. you were evaluating risk for their uh, investments, like bonds. Yeah, and, so yeah, yeah so yeah. those were structured. Uh, those were real assets, right? Like uh, uh, infrastructural houses or real estates. Um, so those were the asset classes, and I used to basically build models here. And I mean, like that was fun. Uh, I my job also at Wall Street included doing almost the same thing, building you know models for real estate, so on and so. Forth. I mean, uh, it was pretty good. Uh, the learnings were very different uh, as to what I did earlier, but obviously, risk was risk is a very one di- you know hom- homogeneous thing. It's multi-dimensional, but it's a very homogeneous. Thing. One one thing if you know in risk, you'll actually just do it for every other thing based on the variables changing, right? Like so, finance sector the variables change, the the health sector variables. But if you know them how to build models, you'll actually be very terrific at it. I did that. Uh, uh, yeah, US actually brought me to the. While I I did come from very capitalistic sort of a notion or an ideology, uh, the Wall Street and and the whole kind of an American setup there obviously gave me a whole different perspective of capitalism. Uh, I, I don't think uh, while there are a lot of other forms of government, I don't think that there's something that exists as beautiful as capitalism. Right? Like so, I was like you know uh, so driven uh, by it. Uh, while I was doing that, I was like you know how how does one create more value in terms of asset classes? How does one build uh, uh, you know kind of a repository for asset classes? How does one kind of you know map uh, asset classes of single individual over and beyond? Yeah, these thoughts kept kind of recurring uh, onto my head. That obviously gave me a lot of sleepless nights, thinking that if if being a hedge fund guy in the US, uh, I get to see 34 different asset classes. Why could why couldn't the common man see it kind of easily, right? Like shit like that. I obviously obviously think and, and believe that at some point of time, uh, every asset would get digitized at some point of time, like how we have information of bank accounts or information of you know our personal details like other fan uh Put in a digital lock. And at some point of time, we will have for almost all the assets that one owns, like the one e one ones we own. And there was a very interesting phase uh, where I was thinking about all of this, right? Like, who, why, why hasn't the government built it yet, right? Like, obviously, even the U.S. government has not built something like this, where you know a, a, an individual can see all his or her assets at at a click of a button, right? When when they could probably do that, it's scattered with different kind of uh, regulatory bodies or or repositories that. You have to go knock separately to get your own data and to to do functions with your own data, and that was when I started flipping. Right, and and when you think of it, the top rich folks actually do have an opportunity because they do have personal bankers for themselves, right? Like so, the personal bankers does and takes care of all of it. If one has to pledge, they pledge their shares or pledge their shares of shares, pledge their derivatives. It goes very deep, right? They have all the opportunities to play in in the whole capitalism uh, sort of a setup. But you never find every anyone else actually do that. Like in fact, even you don't find millionaires do that because they don't have personal bankers at, at, at ease at at, at with, right? Like so, I mean, that's when I start thinking that this is something that eventually we will do it. It has to be on a public infrastructure or an infrastructure that is put out just for identification of sorts. And then I, you know, pondering around this made me believe that uh, uh, you know I had to probably make a move very soon, which is why you know I curtailed my my work. At Wall Street, and I, and I decided to move, you know, somewhere close. The reason I obviously moved back 
a multi-folds. I mean, I, I openly tell this and this is actually uh, uh, something that is matters a lot more to me than whatever I do today is that my family was getting old, right? Like my parents were getting old uh, and and uh, I'd been nine years away from them as like, you know, dude, it's, it's, it's probably, when, this was during COVID as well. I think emotions had, had struck quite a lot and I decided that, you know, since this is the the way I probably, uh, you know, uh, it, I, I, I quit on a, on a Wednesday. Look, um, I booked my flight on Friday to come back to India. And, and, that, and that's how close it was. And I was like, okay, let me just kind of, you know, uh, leave. Interestingly, I, I got another gig in Singapore. So I thought that was pretty close to home as well. So I might as well kind of, you know, work here for some time and, and pick up some skills, which I did for some time. Um, there it was again in, now it was not risk anymore. It was actually a lot to do with infrastructure, but right. Like I realized I wanted to get in this line of business. What do I do to, 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 you know, learn and then see how it is and stuff. Um, the whole Columbia tag obviously helped, uh, the idea that, you know, I, I did graduate and work there. Um, so I started working in API infrastructure. I learned fair, but for about, you know, nine, 10 months there. Um, this is like FinTech API infrastructure, like say M2P FinTech and. No, it was not M2P. I mean, I, I, that would have I been mean, a lot. Nice. So yeah. it was like a SaaS sort of an API infrastructure. So it was integrating, uh, you know, this software with bunch of other, uh, you know, project management softwares or financial institution softwares, right? Like credit softwares, basically. So, you know, one could actually, you know, do um, bills of payments. One could, you know, settle, uh, you know, the contract value. One could uh, do the payments of the contract value. One could see the duration of the timeline of the contract. Right? So this was a standalone, standalone software and we had to integrate multiple other softwares that are here. Right? So I did that work. Uh, it was very interesting because in that nine months, my only work was actually integrating softwares and softwares, right? Uh, integrating like, you know, every month of at least one or two integrations uh, that, that go by. The, the, this was built for lenders, like so that lenders can get access to data about invoicing, etc. No, no, so this was basically uh, built for projects, right? So multiple, so say, for example, engineering projects were there and engineering projects would have so, you know, not just the data of work, but also data of bills, so on and so forth. So this basically used, was used for heavy engineering, construction companies, uh, uh, you know, any sort of projects that poten potentially, you know, kind of oil and gas, any sort of project that potentially has a lot of kind of, you know, documents and bills and, and, and so on and so forth, uh, payments and financing that goes into it, uh, was actually done through this software. Right? And this would improve the efficiency for the oil and gas company? Yes, this would, yeah, this would in turn improve their efficiency, uh, you know, uh, a new mode of uh, payments, a new structure of uh, digitization of, you know, whatever uh, uh, earlier payment modes were done and digitization of earlier uh, documentation uh, and contract management that was pretty much done before. Okay, so the, the, the manual work which was happening because there were multiple systems, uh, that basically got digitized. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I did got that. It. Wow. That was actually a very interesting lot only because whatever we do in FinSight today is very linked uh, to integrations, right? Like since ours is like proper infra sort of a business, it just includes way too many integrations uh, and, and, and uh, you know, stakeholders involved in right? Like so the ability to, to integrate softwares and ability to kind of, you know, push them out is, is supreme at something like us. Uh, 
you, you, so I, you know, I, when I finished integrating the eighth or the ninth software, I decided, you know, I probably learned whatever is, you know, had to learn. Uh, it might sound like some, some form of another capitalism, but I thought the utility of learning and integrations was, was pretty much, you know, kind of at its peak, right? Anything beyond it probably be me just doing it and, and, and not in superior learning of sorts. Um, and again, was obviously the time moment I felt I was comfortable and, and, you know, was well settled. And then probably one had to kind of, you know, make a move. Uh, I, I was still pondering upon that bold problem statement that struck me when I was working at one street. I realized that I had to kind of speak this out to someone. And, uh, that's when Mridul, my co-founder and I, we used to almost talk every day about various things, right? Like we've been great friends for 16 years. Both of us played football while growing up. Um, he probably was the best footballer I knew to as well. Uh, we played at, at decent professional leagues as well. So essentially, I realized that he, someone I would want to do something, it's, it's ideally Marudul, right? Like, it was a no-brainer. And uh, yeah, we, we discussed about this. Uh, interestingly, Marudul also had worked on a similar thesis uh, before that. And he came back to India in 2018 to start another company. Uh, much of what we do in FinSat, but in blockchain. Right? So something like this, obviously... Uh, is very possible in blockchain or the ability to do it is actually a lot higher, right? Like you're not talking about holding the data of individuals in a, in a uh, private repository, but in a very public repository, you're trying to do that. So he decided to do that initially uh, for about a year or so while I was still there. Uh, obviously, at, when he started in 2018, there's lot, not a lot of uh, lookers because the whole thing caught up, caught on fire only, say, you know, during code or post-code. So, uh, it there were a few challenges, which is when, you know, um, when we were discussing of something of sorts, what we wanted to do, um, you know, we realized that we have to do probably the same thing because it's too good to be a problem statement of not to be solved. And we decided to start something like this uh, in, in proper sort of database system, but holding like with multiple, including the regulators, in, inclusive of the repositories, getting the lenders all in one plate and and, and, you know, kind of the distribution as well. And eventually kind of, you know, ensuring that something like this can be done in a public infrastructure as well, right? Much like say what UPI has done for payments uh, as a public infrastructure, much like what, you know, account aggregator or other has done in a public infrastructure. I think something like this can be, it's, it's surprising that the government at scale, uh, uh, I'm sure they'll probably have, be thinking of it, but something like this has to be done, done at, at that level. We, you know, kind of the whole identification part of data at least needs to be done in that level. Over and beyond that, what you do with the data, what the consumer wants to do with the data, that can be secondary, right? That can be, that's what FinSight does today. Over and beyond that, uh, we build use cases around it so then the consumers can, you know, leverage that out. But the initial phase of it, the identification part of it, in, in simple terms, uh, can still be done on a very uh, public infrastructure level where the government has an intervention and can see it, you know, time and time again. Let me zoom into the idea which you originally got while working at Wall Street and now you are trying to implement at FinSire. So what you're saying is the ultra-rich have access to utilize their assets in better manners. Like if you're in need of money, you don't need to sell your house or sell your car or whatever. You can uh, have your house mortgaged and you can take a loan against it. Or if you own a piece of art, that artwork can be valued. And uh, against that value, you can get a loan. And Using that loan, you can invest in the stock market because you know stock market is going to rise and make money. And so, therefore, your assets are uh, more liquid. You can take 
money out through credit and use that to make more money and so on and so forth. For ultra-rich, it's possible to do that because there's a private banker working with them who can do things like assessing the value and working with a lender who lend against that assessed value. For the rest of uh, uh, the people, they don't have this. So what you wanted to create was a ledger of assets and covering multiple asset categories, be it art, be it property, be it vehicle, be it uh, bonds, uh, be it gold, whatever. So is that, is my understanding correct? Like a yeah, I mean, of- yeah, I mean, that's a fair understanding. I mean, uh, very few people getting the first try. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, it's like a, rep- like a black box or a repository of multiple assets, right? And these multiple assets are held with repositories. So it's like a repository of a repository. And essentially, uh, when you have these assets at your own gamut, uh, what happens is that, uh, and Ledger is definitely a good way to put it as well, what happens is that now you can first identify your assets to begin. You don't need to go to multiple places, like as simple as a stock, right? Like you may be holding the stocks, you know, some from Zeroda, some from Grow, some from, you know, your HDFC securities, so on and so forth. Uh, inclusive your family as well, they'll be holding at these multiple places. And actually, it's very, very hard, uh, you know, even as simple as that, when you want to pledge, see the shares from Zerada, uh, the lender would only kind of, you know, see your Zerada shares itself to be, you know, he cannot or she cannot see all of this gamut wants to, you know, put together. It's only if you take the effort of downloading the sheets and then going and giving it to a lender and then eventually transferring all the shares to one particular broker, you'll eventually kind of, you know, get a credit on that itself, right? Like, that's a very hard process, not a not a very pleasing process. Uh, um, and this actually is for all asset classes, right? Like how do you even do it for all asset classes? I just spoke about one asset class, right? Like in India, the known asset financial asset classes itself is are, are 16, right? Like and and if you if you consider uh, how the rich leverage a lot more, they probably use something else, different classes also of our asset classes, right? Like some use their interior furniture as well to be pledged and then eventually get credit on that and how do you do that, so on and so forth. So our thesis is not just credit, right? Credit is a byproduct of various, you know, kind of uh, use cases or solutions that you can do with these assets. But as simple as, say, even, you know, kind of putting a down payment. As simple as, say, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, putting as a collateral, right? Today, if, if, some, if you have to go and put something as a collateral, was the first thing a lender would ask or a transaction, you know, kind of head ask or an underwriter ask, you know, give me your property papers. You know, India or the world has never heard something else beyond that. Have you ever heard, you know, give me your, uh, you know, sh- share details or your, or your mutual fund details. That'll take that as a collateral. It's a very funny thing that, you know, despite having all of these assets, one has not thought of putting this as a collateral because dude, if I'm going to go take an education loan of what they say 10 to 15 lakhs or so, and if you ask me to put a property worth one and a half, two crores, it doesn't make economic sense to me at all, right? Like why would I even do that to begin? Like, I could probably be using this to get a business loan and start start another business line itself. So 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 the, these thoughts have, have crippled down quite a lot, right? Like for everything that we do today, as simple as collateral or, 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 or of sorts, we still put the house papers at the house document because the lenders or because firstly, because you don't have any other form of, of asset that gets identified so easily in the ecosystem or I don't have that uh, ability to do that. And two, because it's just so, the systems are so, just so archaic for the lenders that they're just happy seeing the, the paper hard asset form 
and not do anything which is you know digital uh, of sorts in nature. So there are a bunch of these use cases, but yes, definitely credit is is, is one of them, and and, and can be you know, directly dealing. So uh, essentially, you're building the ledger, and how that ledger is used, there are multiple ways to do that. Uh, why did you call it a black box? Why did I call it a black box? Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, so having these multiple assets at once, right? like because you'll probably see only one asset max at, at one every given point of time, you got to think of it like a switch or a black box, right? The thing is, Say, for example, you go for a certain, you know, kind of um, an education loan, right? I, and I like education loan so much so because I never got an education loan from from the Indian banks. They, I had probably approached like six, seven of them. All of them rejected my application. This is this obviously because my family never owned a property. We had to sell There's off. There's no, like income proof salary. Yes, salary so, exactly, right? Like, so my, my right. family never owned a property. We had to sell off property uh, during the, the, the crisis that we had. Uh, we had a you know, kind of bunch of board uh, and, and, you know, kind of mutual funds and life insurance. But that would not be accepted by the by the lenders and the underwriters, right? So property is the only thing and, and banks kind of, you know, rejected uprights and left center all mm -hmm. on. This despite me getting into like, say, Columbia of sorts, right? So I was like very shocked. And, and I didn't want the loan also. I just probably, you know, wanted it, you know, uh, some portion of it so that, you know, it would aid me in, in getting the visa as well because they would probably be flipping around how does this, you know, they would have so much money in hand. And, and, and that was a thought, right? That was obviously because of the fact that I earned fairly decent in Singapore. So I was like, okay, fine. You guys are not going to give me a loan. It's, it's okay. And right. It's not like I want something of that sort. But say, imagine someone actually wants an educational loan of sorts, right? Uh, and and uh, say one has about six different sorts of assets, right? Like just say your stocks, your mutual funds, your life insurance, your property, uh, you know, your gold kept in a locker. Uh, and, uh, you know, say pension funds that you'd add for, you know, kind of gets, right? Six different asset classes, probably, you know, these are the minimal asset class that almost everyone would have at a given part. And these asset classes now are are, are in this uh, uh, ledger or are, are in this black box or, or of sorts. And it acts like a switch now. Say, for example, now if you want to go take this education loan and FinCEN obviously is, is integrated with that, uh, they put a num they put out your number, right? Yeah, that is a unique identity that's mapped out to you. Uh, they put out a number, and and once they put out a number, uh, uh, you get a certain OTP, and you put in the OTP with your consent. The idea is that obviously you would probably see the the transaction or the or the lender at a given point of time would see all of these assets, which is what your concern, uh, which is what you you've given your consent for. Now, once they see all of these asset classes that are put together, then obviously try to map your loan amount to it, right? Like say they can probably take 125, 130% of the loan value or say the LTV to be somewhere about, you know, 60, 65, 70, 80% of sorts. It, they'd see which asset class, you know, kind of maps onto it. If say the first one, you don't have enough stocks, they'll probably, you know, it'll switch and go to the mutual funds, right? So you have enough mutual funds of sorts, right? So now the mutual funds gets clicked and say, for example, you want to select one of your life insurance, even that get clicked. So one fails like a switch, it goes to the next one. If next one fails like a switch, it goes to the next one. So it, it, it fills in and takes these two asset classes, the optimal asset classes that you actually need to give to get that loan. You don't need to kind of you know, end up giving, say, about, you know, whatever, what, two crores to get like about 15 lakhs worth. So this switch actually today we see in payment companies, right? Like say, you know, certain companies like Just Pay so on so forth solves. If one payment fails, it goes to the next payment. Then I get paid. Another one fails, it goes to the next payment. Our thesis that can we do that with assets, like when everyone, everything is put together. Albeit the consent, again, to select which you want to pledge is still given to the user. So the user still can select, I want to, you know, kind of pledge stocks one, two, three, four, 
uh, mutual fund two, three, four, and life insurance one. They could even do that. So that switch is is given directly to the mutual fund uh, to the uh, users as well. So next time uh, somebody accesses your assets, they will see some assets are uh, like uh, already pledged. So so they'll be like grayed out, uh, or they'll be like a net worth which is calculated by assets minus the liability. The liability will also be uh, entered on FinSire. Yeah, so both is there. Uh, so exactly right. Like it'll, it, so we would obviously give you the data. Uh, we we are not a standalone app or a platform, right? Like obviously we integrate with likes of other companies who have distribution, right? So you can obviously see your net worth, and there's a there's a public portal, uh, essentially like a repository, like I said, that will also be out for us, essentially to say that, uh, which is more like a non-profit, right? Like because we're building it, this in a very public infrastructure way, we want to be as transparent as possible and, and to ensure. So net net, you'll obviously be able to see what is pledged, what is not pledged at a given point, and the lender will be with your consent will be able to see what is pledged and what is not pledged. This also reduces a lot of uh, uh, you know kind of mistrust in the ecosystem. Uh, meaning, if someone has has you know kind of pledged a property or given a fake document for the property or for the for the you know for the vehicle of sorts, cannot happen again, right? Like if it's just test per se, because I've you know obviously I've seen it in in family I was, in, in my own family as well, uh, where one of the bad decisions that was done was that was actually something like this, right? Like one property document was circulated amongst three people, and that was very interesting to note that. You know, uh, while payment had had been done of, of two and a half to three crores, yeah. you're talking about someone else also kind of you know holding the property. I mean, something like this is that how how why are we still not solving it? Starts was was a thought as well. So something like this would obviously restrict and, and and ensure that these fraudulent acts do not take place. So interesting. Um, you you said that there's a non-profit uh, element in that. Just uh, can you zoom in on that? What what is that? Yes, so, so, sure. So the non-profit is only the public infrastructure that I'm talking about, right? Like uh, it's a supremely important uh, right of individuals. I feel um, that one gets to see or identify all of their assets and what they right? Like so you're saying that the ledger will be non-profit. Yes. So the identification of the assets would be the non-profit. And what is the for-profit part of this? So anything beyond that is what comes for profit, right? Like say, for example, today on account aggregator also, you can probably see all of your information and assets of sorts. Uh, for us, it's the same thing, right? Like it's an extension of the AA where you can probably see all of these assets at once. But account aggregator, only if someone comes and participates, will you even be able to see these assets. And what happens for certain kinds of assets that would never be participating in the AA? Right, like so, we obviously cover all of the other environment. Uh, the idea is that, and and obviously put that on the uh, ledger, and and with uh, users' consent and, and number and the OTP, one can basically kind of you know uh, identify all of their assets at once at scale, and then eventually, uh, if they want to show it as net worth or a proof elsewhere, they can particularly you know show it of sorts. The profit, the the profit is actually anything beyond and after this, right? Like if one has to. Say for example, uh, get an educational loan on this, right? Like, or if one has to kind of you know get credit, plain vanilla credit on this through credit B or any other sort of you know, and if one has to, uh, uh, you know, uh, use this as a down payment of of buying uh, something which is a lot more expensive in nature. Something like what say Bajaj Finance is not solved for, right? Bajaj Finance is solved for all these low ticket zero AMI sort of of things. Anything which is beyond a certain value, say one and a half max, you have to, you have you have to give a down payment today. 
someone can use this as a pledge for the down payment of salts and piano directly kind of whatever that's those shins that come beyond uh, what you do with these asset classes we have integrated with those companies out there these are for profit and, so you um, you charge the lenders for the right to access and pledge uh, the or carve out the assets yes that's right so we directly charge the lenders the consumers do not get charged <laughs> um i i said distribution right so there is a certain charge for the distribution class and as well in terms of platform fees so on so forth like say tomorrow if someone like if we have to create this through google pay right uh, so on one end of it will be the lenders one end will, will be us integrating with these repositories and the third end will be all the all google pays sort of uh, distribution right or consumers can this you know kind of uh, so as soon as they enter global pay they can probably you know, put their number and see on their assets put together so eventually our thesis that we don't want to create our own distribution because creating a distribution actually becomes a lot harder that is and thesis rather how can we kind of integrate with folks who have already built up distribution in india for the last whatever 10 years or so and latch on to them which makes you know complete sense a use case right like red can be one of them google pay can the the distribution app will do this for free or they will charge you or you will charge them So it it works in 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 two ways. Obviously, for leveraging distribution, there is a certain sort of cent uh, that they get. Uh, and for doing anything beyond of that functionality, obviously, they do get charged. Like even at the end of the day, if they are getting into something like this business, like say credit of sorts, uh, they need the whole onboarding process, the journey, those APIs for it, so on and so forth. Which obviously we have in the house. We give it to them. Um, or and beyond that, there is also something like. for their own compliance and reporting um they need to build uh, a software for that we obviously have that also in house so on so forth. so you know reporting compliance everything becomes a lot easier so but and by so the reporting compliance for what like if i have given a loan to somebody then i i need to prepare a report that this person is still solvent this is not an npa that is what you're talking about yes so the lenders do that in what perspective of it even the distribution will have to kind of you know report to rbi so on so forth right through my app uh you know my report what the data of of uh, users right like how much you know kind of has been pledged who has pledged what uh what is the total of what all assets have been pledged for what use um as soon as someone kind of you know it takes up a loan how many how much time that is left for you know kind of completing the loan so these are the things that they need to report to various stakeholders some of it is also to the rbi some of it is directly to us in the lender of sorts and some of it is for their own in house to understand you know who's taken what so on so forth so this reporting uh software that is built is But, directly uh, why why does a google pay need to report all this every nbfc which makes a loan would be sending a report to a credit bureau i mean the credit bureau is the party collecting and this data right like yeah so that's the nbfc right which doesn't have a distribution here i'm talking about how do we create distribution if finside is doing it by by the by ourselves even we may have to kind of you know report to the uh, you know kind of respective bureaus and 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 uh, stakeholders involved not just that even if some kind of you know audit takes place you need to kind of you know compile and give the data as well right so even okay. that eventually comes down to that and right? so eventually we you know have to give but because we are not kind of creating our distribution we are not having our own app of sorts to you know to say that boss you know come directly download through and through app store or place on that uh that's only for testing and for people who don't have distribution people who have distribution are in the front right like you will see us directly integrating like api and so on giving it to so like a let's say google pay integrates this 
will Google Pay get a revenue share when a lender is accessing this for the customer yes. and the customer uses Google Pay to access? Yes, okay. of course. So I okay. mean, uh, that is that is where even they make you know money out of it as well, right? Like on a net net, it's a very interesting sort of a case, right? Like you believe that payment companies or you believe that distribution companies have created uh, sticky distribution for a decade now. Uh, you have to believe that they'll obviously garner a lot more over the next whatever uh, five to ten years as well. Right? A lot more Indians will try. If someone has already created such a beautiful distribution, I mean. Um, one has to think, is it worth my time to create my own distribution or is it worth my time just latching out of them and giving? And right. to obviously give to whatever they have done, you would obviously give there's a certain revenue share of the lending amount that eventually kind of, you know, goes. Okay. So this works uh, only if the quality of data is good. Like, uh, you know, you give that example of one person who uh, sold that property to three different people uh, uh, the same set of documents uh, so how how do you ensure good quality data that uh, this is actually what he owns uh, sure. with a high degree of confidence uh, that the lender has a high degree of confidence if on the FinSAR database it says he owns this property and this property is worth one crore then I trust that yeah, so the uh, for something like this, actually, it's very, uh, uh, very interesting. And the reason is that uh, this is probably the hack that I have. Uh, and this hack is actually a very interesting hack uh, that, I, that, I, that I say. So building something like this, you need three things. Three things are supremely important. Uh, one is that every asset class needs to have a unique identity, right? A unique number that is put to it. Um, like say if I have to map your yeah the property that you own in in in, in Pandra, um, you know Second Street that'll have a you know sort of a number plate, right? So the unique is very important. Second one is that these asset classes uh need to be held by a central repository, right? It can be multiple, like you know two three repositories and all that, but has to be held by a central repository for it for it to be like a. Municipality would hold yes. and record. Yes, exactly, right? Like, can be a sub registrar, can be T and Rera, so on and so forth, right? So, the central repository is important to it. Uh, and the third and, and the most important thing, uh, uh, you know, it's funny that a fintech kind of says this, but it's actually very true. It has to be regulated, right? If it's not regulated, then it's going to be supremely hard uh, to, do, to do that, right? These three are the three most basic fundamentals of, of doing something like this that cannot be first at all, right? Like, uh, so obviously I would know that once if it's, if it's all three are, are the stakeholders and all three are involved, uh, uh, the data or the, trans, the the movement of data flow is actually a lot easier, right? Uh, um, you know, now you can just map on this, like say a residential property uh, in Tamil Nadu, which is held, uh, you know, which is bought by say, you know, kind of XYZ or, or Shayans, uh, or T and Rera holds the data. And if I want to transfer it, I need to kind of, you know, tell them again and the transfer views are put out. Uh, and and uh, the ability for me to give it is, is tracked and traced on. Right? So there are other asset classes that do not kind of uh, fall into these three categories. I mean, if they don't fall into these three categories, it gets very challenging and risky. It okay, well, well, let me just zoom in on this one first and then we'll talk of the other asset categories. So, uh, 
how do you know that okay so you have a unique identifying number for every property let's let's stick to the real estate example um how do you map uh, it with the user that uh, this property belongs to this unique user like how do you get that data because let's say maybe the, uh, uh, the land records the tn will have a name of the owner uh, and there could be multiple people with the same name there could be a misspelling in the name how do you do the last leg of mapping the ownership with the asset yeah it's a, in, especially in land is a supremely big challenge here um, it's a challenge that we already face here in that, right? like uh, it's 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 not easy there are multiple boards there are multiple municipalities that are out there uh sensei one of them party and there are one of them cdma one of them the sub registrars one of them so on so forth uh cracking down asset class by asset class itself is a supremely big challenge like you know residential commercial uh, you know agriculture warehouse uh sports storage so on so so i mean you have to dissect it like that first you have to see which asset class you're going after then you have to see who holds which the body that holds on this now every action that they do firstly is it's only digitizing themselves first and then you know identifying so it's a process that is that it's a very it's not a straightforward process and every state has its own process but this process is what will lead to uh going a lot more uh uh streamlining and a lot more sort of you know uh, 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 efficiencies in how this data is transferred so we do select based on asset class post asset class we see which repositories repositories held uh and identify the repository digitize the repository so now they probably use the tech that you know the rails that we have or or if they don't use that they want to use the existing one and api would obviously kind of you know uh, showcase any sort of change that is then uh, uh you know uh, uh, with respect to certain property right so every pledged property would go on set aside right so every pledged property is already there and uh, non pledged would be held by still by these repositories of sorts right so there's a mapping that is done of this sort it's a, it's not an easy challenge supremely hard uh, thing to crack I, I'm, you know we're not sure if 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 we'd be able to do all states but i mean that's the hope uh, eventually we'll be if we're able to do all states all asset classes uh, in this form and, and and mapping each repository and and it's a very kind of you know different sort of a mental map in, in that eventually that you cover obviously 7 trillion dollars worth of asset classes which is only in real estate in india and that's a huge number in itself so this would only work if two things are true one is that the authority which owns this data is digitizing and second they have some sort of kyc like with a kyc if they have let's say the aadhaar number then it becomes easy to map ownership yeah so kyc of this also there right like so one has to do kycs of of, of this as well the other ownership needs mm-hmm. to match uh, mm-hmm. also some that is not done before uh, in terms of kyc or in terms of knowing who the actual owner is would be done in this process itself right uh, typically digitization and kyc will go hand in hand yeah so okay okay eventually relate that okay so real estate is uh, i you know so my understanding is real estate is probably the toughest example to talk about among the asset classes you want to do tell me about a relatively easier asset class i mean the easiest what are the low hanging fruits sure i think the easiest asset class is the ones that are already distressed and i like say something like a stock or a mutual or this kyc done uh, and things like straight forward right like right. stock 
and 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 that is something that is supremely easy. Like, you know that you know who the owners are. It is held by a central repository. Every sort of unique identity for each ownership. Uh, the ability to move lean mark has already been set up by those APIs by different repositories. Uh, uh, lenders understand this very well already. Uh, so it's a very straightforward sort of uh, you know sort of an integration uh, that. Uh, you know, so the harder ones are, of course, real estate, uh, gold, um, you know, gold held by households. I don't think that'll probably, that'll be the last that comes out in terms of data, right? Like why would someone even, uh, you know, kind of give the data, but when you think of it on the retrospective, one wants to show their net worth. I mean, you have to do that, right? Like that's what is accepted and you have to probably, you know, take it and do it. So but how would uh, you control that the person declares, I have this gold and he doesn't sell it off? That would only work if there's like a gold repository or, you know, some some gold banker who holds your gold and issues you a certificate of ownership. With You're right. Uh, which something. is why the lockers in gold today, they can be distanced. Right? They, right. they can be, the gold lockers can be done. Um, yeah. uh, the lockers themselves would not know how much is the gold, but the end user can while filling this data, so on and so forth, map it out. So lockers can be done. There are these, these, these two, but the golden household and real estate even in real estate, there are few that can be done, say commercial real estate, that can be done quite easily, right? Like, you know, people who own the, you know, who own the properties are, who understand the business really well, uh, they keep flipping properties, they keep kind of, you know, playing by, they do play with credit quite a lot. So they understand that really well. The hardest is obviously, say, farmland or agri-land. Uh, likewise, in gold, gold held by households that becomes pretty hard thing to do that um, how would you ascribe it a fair value uh, let's say we're talking of commercial real estate how do you ascribe it a fair value because the the value keeps changing going up and down and there's so many intangibles like the location and uh, you know if metro station comes up then the value will suddenly go up and so on and so forth i mean that's a very interesting question actually so i was just speaking to you know, but this to someone uh, like most of the other asset classes, uh, they have an ongoing uh, sort of uh, public value put to it, right? Like say stocks, mutual funds, every day you probably have a public value uh, that comes that gets you know kind of on it. Something like real estate, it's you know, it's 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 a lot more. The demand supply is a lot more, right? So something like the other assets, the demand supply is, is actually the whole sort of you know. The listing and then people on that listing buying and selling of sorts. And it's a very uh, uh, algorithmic sort of a setup that is already done, right? There's algos that have to be run and, and the setup is already But real estate, what do you do, right? It is, it is not, say, real estate property in Mumbai is increasing, so real estate property in Chennai also should increase. But say the stock value over there and here will obviously be the same. Likewise, the gold value will be more or less the same of sorts, right? So it is actually the, the price that is around that real estate value. Uh, today, as of today, the whole idea is that to keep the transaction value of what was put out last as the as the value now, and obviously, you know, as years have pro pro progressed, uh, you know, the the uh, rise in real estate price or the value there. But say if you bought a house say about five years ago, the transaction value is on say two crores or so. But today, you think it is to be sold at say two and a half. We would probably not. We would, we would give you estimated value to be two and a half, but the actual value is still the transaction value that, that you did last. Right? Okay. Mm. Okay. Yeah, got it. Got it. Okay. Now, you said there is a second type of asset class where these things are not possible. What was that? Were you talking of gold in households? Or? 
I mean, so there are quite a lot actually, right? Like art. Art is one of them. NFT is another one. Uh, there, you that is not held by a central repository. What do you know with that, right? Like and NFT you... should be like I mean, it's it's a digital asset, so that that that's that's still possible. A proper yeah. art is not possible, right? Like a, you cannot value a proper art. A proper art is still not possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, you know, uh, the whole thesis of NFT and crypto is that they don't want to get regulated like this, or they don't want it to be covered in the ecosystem in terms of the value like this, right? Like so, someone who works crypto yeah, and anonymity think, factors, right? So, yeah, you need to have them declare that they own it. Uh, like you need to remove the anonymity. Exactly. So it, it it is an antithesis to to whatever they they stand for as well, right? So something like this gets extremely tricky. There would be folks who actually own it but want to show it and and pledge and and you know partake on it, but at the same point of time, this whole uh, anonymous sort of scenario comes in. Uh, so it gets tricky there. Uh, so there are a bunch of it that eventually is like you know, dude, it's going to be super challenging and tricky to do that. But as long as there's an underwriter to do it, and as long as these three functions are followed. I think it is possible, uh, okay. and and that is about sixteen different asset classes that is possible in India today. Okay, why don't you do this on the blockchain? Because we are talking of a ledger, and we are talking of doing it in a non-profit way. And if you combine these things, you just add decentralization, then it becomes a, a blockchain. I mean, you could, right? Like which yeah. is why I said, like you know, Google had started something like this on a blockchain before. Hmm. Uh, it is possible. I mean. Uh, it's not like it's not possible. Uh, if, if but you think, feel blockchain will uh, face more resistance of adoption? Yeah, I mean, which is what has happened, right? Like, we did start and there are a lot of resistance in adopting it. Uh, you know, lenders would not accept it so easily. Underwriters would not do it. Uh, the whole uh, regulatory body is just kind of, you know, appreciating blockchain. But, but you know, I do believe that the other forms of it that are there are not kind of you know uh, sustainable for the country so there are a lot of stuff right? when, when when you don't kind of you know bet against uh, the ones who probably you know want to write us who want to who are writing the story for the country right like if you bet against the regulators regulations that blend us yeah. when you start off on a bad note itself it's not like it cannot be done i'm sure it can be done i think that's the right way to do it as well uh, over a period of time uh uh, you know, once country believes that uh, the trust ecosystem is is being solved for it, I mean, like you'll probably see this to be on a blockchain. Whatever we have for the, the NPO, uh, the nonprofit would actually be on a blockchain. Where you can see, but at the moment, when every other repository also is doing it in a database way, if you do the other way, I think it's 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 doomed to be busted. So, which is like, yeah, the moment you talk blockchain, you're just adding noise to your story. Right now, you have a very focused story. The moment you add blockchain, then some people will come on board just for speculative reasons and some people will avoid it because of fear of speculative. I mean, it just adds noise. Got it. So I understand what you want to build. Now, tell me what have you built so far? Yeah, so we've obviously built for a few asset classes already uh, and a bunch of use cases, right? So we have built for earned salary, we built for mutual funds, we built for stocks, life insurance identification is already, you know, kind of prevalent, EPFO identification is already prevalent, so on and so forth. So, so there are a bunch of it that we already have, there are customers for it, they are using it, so on and so forth. So when we, uh, uh, the whole, the true value of it comes uh, just in, Tell me for each of these one by one, how you built it. How did you build for earned salary? And why is earned salary an asset class? It's, it's income flow, right? Yeah, it's a funny story as well. Uh, 
when we started off this a year and a half plus plus ago, no repository would give us an API as well. And they would, even till date, they give an API only to a lender. They don't give it to a third party uh, uh, technology service provider. And that's, that's what kind of is funny and blew my mind. I'm like, you know, if I don't have to start, I have to start with something that is uh, a lot more liquid and flowable in nature. Uh, which was earned salary because it's not salary, it's earned whatever is there and that acts like an asset class of someone who and I can probably, you know, see that, okay, this much money is in a bank account, I can probably lend on that if you want to or I can give you that much money if you need so on and so forth. That is where we started off. Um, and how did you do that? Through account aggregator framework? Yeah, so we did that through a bunch of things like, you know, the bunch of wrappers that are obviously there, uh, people, you know, folks who obviously got data from, uh, 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 you know, we got data from folks who we used to get, kind of, you know, get their salary details and so on and so forth through corporates and the corporates that they work for because these companies were integrated with HRM business. So we used to get that data from multiple sources and multiple places and eventually kind of, you know, plug into that. Okay. And, um, that's how the we primary source would be payroll softwares, basically. Yeah, payroll softwares and companies that have integrated with payroolls softwares. So right. Are, out there that have integrated with payroll softwares and, you know, kind of take the data and get the data from them and eventually kind of, you know. What, what kind of companies are these? I, I have not heard of them. Oh, so there are a bunch of API, other API companies out there, right? So there are a bunch of other API companies that primarily focus on getting salary data. Okay. Uh, from, you know, payroll software. So okay. Right? okay. So, but, but this is a small part of uh, Indian salary payout, right? Uh, only 10% of salary payout would be going through a payroll software. Yeah, very small. very small. 90% would be unorganized. Yeah, it's, it's still very small. It's hmm. still very, very small and not a, not a good thing. I mean, but we had to start off somewhere, right? right. This, is the, okay. this is the only idea that, uh, you know, none of the other sorts of, uh, you know, kind of taps were open for us to do it. Okay. It was so that uh, here, uh, you know, kind of go only when I realized this, uh, you know, the repositories like say NSDL, uh, CAMS, CDSL still hasn't, you know, it still doesn't have APS to give. CAMS is a mutual fund, like they have data on mutual fund. NSDL yes. is equity. They have data on equity that is yes. owned. Okay. Yes. And uh, K Fintech, right? CDSL still did. You K, know, sorry, what? K? K Fintech. K Fintech. K Fintech. What does that hold? So they, that also holds for mutual fund data. Okay. So CAMS and K FinTech are like sharing the market. There's something. Yes, like okay. yes, for mutual funds, right? So, so that asset class then got covered, right? Uh, there are a bunch of other asset classes. That some. How did you convince these people? Because like CAMS, K FinTech are like all legacy companies, and there's you know you're like a twenty something kid almost okay. in front of their eyes, going and telling them, give me access to your data. So now they have started giving to third-party players. It was not just, you know, uh, not just me, but many, many folks like me would have knocked at their doors to say, give data, give data, you know, kind of. Which and lender is working with you? So we have a bunch of lenders. We have TJFC, we have Liquid Loans, uh, we have PKF Finders, you know, we have a couple of others on the wait line. So there are a lot of lenders out there. So so but, you would have gone to CAMS uh, saying that we represent these lenders and they want to access your data through our pipes so we are yeah. building the pipes okay. yeah 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 so we had to do that and and then we got in there hmm. so yeah i mean so it is very interesting so now a lot of these players who had these data are now opening opening up slowly one by one to give out uh the, the data some still but this camps and all would not have given you like the fire hose of data they would have just given you when a user is seeking a loan, then for that user, I will give you data. 
that no, was cams, a no cams will give an api itself of the data right like cams themselves would have an identification of assets with the user's consent so if you put your number a cams api uh, will will get triggered and then uh, the users all uh, all the mutual fund assets of that particular users which obviously you know have uh, uh, the dematerialized uh, dematerialized one the ones can obviously be, can be seen uh, will be shown on the on on their uh, whatever integration uh, device it's been integrated so cams actually gives it on the plate uh, but obviously there's some work that needs to be done beyond for the distribution that insiders but they do give with bunch of otps and bunch of kind of you know consent you do get access to the data but no but so you're collecting person by person or cams has Uh, allowed you to access the entire database of mutual fund owners that they it is entire yeah it is entire with the consent of okay. the yeah with the consent of the particular user you so it, how could you have gotten consent of millions because you're talking of millions of mutual fund owners yeah so that is when no, there's a certain number that so one puts his his or her number otp gets sent once otp no, no, gets so did you did you actually have millions of people giving you the otp like that's what i'm trying to understand like yeah so at, 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 at so we don't have million users at the moment but at a given point of time yes million people would be using it and uh, the otp would be going back and forth from uh, say the users uh, to the repository not at the repository repository pushes the data and that is like a messenger that collects the data and gives it gives it to that user's device on the okay user. okay 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 so so these lenders are uh, using these pipes uh, to give out loans and uh, the uh, when when data is traveling through the pipe then it is also getting added to the ledger yeah okay okay so the the more the number of lenders use it the more data flows through the pipes the more data gets added to the ledger like that's that's the yeah, way it is yeah up. so more lenders or more you know kind of people in general right distribution of say more people from google pay end up using more people from other sorts of payment application use it it gets mapped onto that one particular lender so which are lender kind of sees it can have an access to it so on so forth and approve okay whatever you know kind of the right ones the ability for this ledger or the ability for something like a black box like this is is that one is obviously the switch two is the whole uh, you know a bit of financial sort of logics to it but the idea is that when you have one asset class the volatility is obviously a lot higher when you have multiple asset classes the r uh, you know kind of uh, risk reduces drastically volatility is a lot lower so a lot of things actually change uh, which now with the asset classes that we have itself we are noticing and witnessing right you probably realize that uh, the ltv of course has increased now it's no more uh, you know your ltv being the traditional 50 60% your ltv is increased what is ltv loan to value right Before okay. that, you loan to value not lesser. Right? So sixty percent LTV means I have an asset of one crore. I will get sixty lakhs as loans. That's right. Right mm-hmm. now, your LTV right. is increased. Uh, two is is the interest rates. You before your interest rates used to be a lot higher. Now the interest rates are a lot lower because one of secured asset, mm-hmm. two multiple uh, asset being secured. Mm-hmm. Three and the most important thing. I mean, uh, something like this is actually very true that. a lot of hnis get access to it uh, but a lot of obviously common ones do not get access to it is something like a loan duration right uh usually when you think of it loan duration the longest loan duration that you actually get is say a house loan right you probably not get up because for every other asset class actually very curtailed right it is done based on the credit risk of the individual if it's single asset put together but now how what we kind of you know have done with, with something like this is that because 
the assets are clubbed together, the maturity of the asset as as a bundle, right? Like as a, you got to think of it like like a CMBS as a bundle, uh, has increased, you know, drastically. So the maturity period has increased drastically for that asset class. Now, because the maturity period has increased drastically, your your loan duration also is in your your courts, right? Now I, I now I can think of before of having a educational loan only of five six years. Now it's put down to fifteen to twenty years based on how my maturity of the asset classes are. Rich actually do this game quite well. Uh, uh, you know, kind of increasing their loan duration to thirty years of sorts because your net net EMI that you pay is actually very negligible, right? Like when your interest rates are low, net net EMI is, is very negligible. So at the end of the day, your interest payments are actually more or less the same, which would not matter. Or you should not kind of you know kind of matter quite a lot, but you're okay to to push out for the longest. Okay, got it. So uh, you've done income through the, the payroll companies. Uh, you've done mutual funds through CAMS and KFintech. And you've done shares also now through NSDL? Yeah, NSDL. And that is again the same thing, like a lender requesting for share ownership proof and the data is traveling through the pipe, uh, it gets added to the ledger. Yeah, and that's the same. Right. Okay, okay. So how many users, you have data on how many users? Like what is the number of, I mean, uh -huh. that's based on the lender. Usually the number is not good, but that's based on the lender. No, no, but your ledger is building up that data, right? Uh, yeah, so we do do that. We have, yeah, so we have given to say about four lenders, they have given to about say 25 or different sorts of uh, distribution channels that they have and the users of that they use, right? So there are, you know, it, the users are in five digits, like, you know, that, that pretty much have used it, like, you know, 12,000, 13,000 plus plus have easily kind of you know, accessed it through it. So... And, and so, the, like, uh, the size of your ledger currently is about 12, 13,000. Like, there are 12, 13,000 uh, unique users is, on the this, ledger. Yeah. So, this was before we raised. Uh, so, before we kind of you know, raised, it was about 13 to 15,000 that we simply kind of you know, done and a lot of people had access to it. Now, obviously, it's a lot more. Probably, I don't know, I need to check those numbers, but it's a lot more than the most was. Okay. Maybe 20, 30,000, something like that. Like, Less than 50,000 is the number of people for whom you have a, uh, asset information. Uh, what is your target that you want to hit uh, by whatever some milestone that you have in mind? Like say you want to hit asset information of 1 million users by I mean, X date. I mean, if we have a, so the thing is, if we have like a, a great distribution, um, say something like Google Pay, right? Like that itself is, you're talking about 12 kilo people. And, uh, you know, even a one person of Google Pay are talking about huge numbers. So technology, right. not in that phase where we are now uh, going and, and trying to, you know, build it with distribution of sorts, but obviously build it with more asset classes. Today we have what, you know, these three uh, life insurance data can be seen, uh, so on and so forth. Over and beyond that, there's a lot of integration that is going in-house where we integrate the other asset classes and then directly integrate with um, the distribution that well, how, how did you get life insurance? What is the authority which has that? <laughs> so a bunch of players do have it as well. Uh, with respect to NIR, uh, NSDL, NOS, you know, PathCam, so on and so forth. So there are a bunch of players who just have identified the date. But over and beyond, there is not. Right? So over and beyond for doing an action on it, you still need to work. So that's that that's work in progress. Okay. 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 Got it. Got it. Okay. And uh, so what you're saying is the moment you crack one uh, partnership, this uh, this number of 20,000 could come to lakhs in a matter of a month or two. Yeah, I mean, so, the, yeah, so there's a lot of work. Size of distribution. 
Exactly. So there's a lot of, and there's not just the partnerships, obviously a big partnership, right? Today we have a lot of partners. Uh, our next moves. In- the current partners today are basically lending apps. Like say somebody has a Liquiloan app on their phone to apply for a loan. So that is what you're calling as distribution. Yes. So them and a lot of, uh, and and a few, uh, you know, kind of tech first apps as well. Like they're very, like, they're relatively very, very new. Uh, so they themselves are, you know, kind of, you know, finding their own path. But obviously they, they are also. Give me some examples. Like what oh, there are a bunch of them. Come on. Like, so DJFC has also got a distribution that is out there and, and they have their own tech sort of uh, an application, uh, which is very nascent, given out to their own, uh, uh, you know, kind of SMEs that are there. Their SMEs sort of you want to use that. So there are a bunch that today yeah, we use do. it for what? Like what's the use case for these so apps? The, like? they, their use case also is credit. So they okay. use it. So their use case also credit. Okay, 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 okay. But something like a ET money could also be a big unlock for you because ET money also has like yes, quite a large user base and people on ET money are anyway there for managing their investments. So so this becomes an Yes, anything, exactly. Anything like Zerodha or anything like Agro, which is like part of the reason our investor base is also, you know, spread across. <laughs> we are investors. Either they are, are uh, you know, they, they've they been in the industry for longest uh, and they understand this business really well or they are our potential customers. So, I mean, all of our investors get chosen and, and picked in such a way that eventually there would be some sort of integration. How did you raise funds and how much have you raised? So how did you raise funds? I mean, like, uh, so I raised funds, it was a very tough market. Yeah. I mean, it was not an easy market. Uh, till then it's not an easy market. Uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was an experience, uh, in itself to say that, you know, the market's gone, um, we have left the job, not many kind of, you know, companies farming, companies shutting, if anything, uh, and, uh, our initial few investors actually, uh, were infra players who were doing a lot of other things, but were not doing something like this, right? So this was like a, this is what like was an eyeball cash or like to, to think that, okay, if, if one could have access to the data and one could use this data with, with permission and do a lot good, this would probably change a lot of kind of, you know, volume. That's also because, you know, kind of, when you take credit as an example, uh, still till date, secured credit is, is, is obviously in terms of value, a lot more than unsecured credit in the country, right? Like secured credit is what makes or breaks the country to begin with. So essentially, you know, it was that and, you know, as one, two folks came in, I, you know, I, I did believe that a lot of them would, would close in and, and, and come and participate very soon. So the whole process cl- closed in very soon after that. And uh, so yeah, what, various... what were the infra players who invested in you initially? Fintech infra. So they, they came in the same this thing, uh, same round. Uh, fintech infra M2P is invested in us. M2P, okay. Uh, hmm. Razor, uh, so the founders of M2P, that is. Then right. Uh, right. founders of Razor Pay. Yeah, this is an a- angel round. So these would all be like basically angels who. No, this is not. So this is not an angel round. So this was like, uh, we have about five to six more funds that have invested as well. Okay. okay. They, this is more like a pre series A. Yeah, this is a proper seed. Um, seed round. Okay. The proper seed we have like you know, like so Spark Capital, DevX, I Seed, mm. uh, Adept Ventures, Portal Ventures, then uh, 1947 Rise, and you know, a bunch of mega sort of uh, angels who you know together participate in this round. 
so you initially uh, like the initial part was to sell the idea to some angels and then they would have helped you to further connect and that would have got the momentum going yeah i mean the momentum was obviously like i was at it i mean i was supremely persistent i'm like you know something like this doesn't get uh, how many pitches did you make oh quite a lot i mean like don't ask and that was the last one 300 plus like 3 digits no, not, not not 300 not 3 i mean like in the uh, to get a first yes i probably made uh, 20 that was pretty low i mean yeah. not at 20 i mean the first yes is actually the easiest uh, was was less than 10 but okay. to get anything beyond that was really hard uh, and after that every almost every pitch was getting converted into a uh, uh, fund so we have like about 35 odd getting the first uh one was easy getting the 2 to 5 was 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 obviously like wow who do i you know talk to next because everywhere mark markets are shining but 5 to 35 almost every call was a yes wow. right like and and uh, because the first five had come in that built credibility yeah yeah so the first five built massive credibility and right. like, was every call it was like you know a yes 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 but yeah overall i would have done somewhere about you know uh 